three years ago, it was 3D printing. In 2016, and now turning the corner in 2017, there's a lot of hype around artificial intelligence and particularly machine learning. Even investors, even among the investor community, there's a lot of misconceptions around what machine learning is, how it makes a difference in industry, and how to get up to speed on understanding and grasping the technology so that companies or, or investors can actually leverage it. Ben Levy is our guest this week in the Tech Emergence Podcast. I met Ben through an investment banking friend in Boston. Now that I'm in the Bay Area, I got to meet him in person. He runs Bootstrap Labs right in San Francisco, invests in a lot of Bay Area companies. However, Ben does a good deal of travel around the world, raising funds and giving presentations from Singapore to Paris and beyond. And Ben brings to the table today his perspective on what investors and, and business people as well get wrong about machine learning and artificial intelligence and how they can get up to speed on how it can really make a difference in their businesses. Ben has had the opportunity to have a front row seat to a lot of these technologies, fielding companies, speaking with other investors, and he believes there's, there's better ways to get up to snuff and to really stay on the pulse of these technologies than many investors and business people are currently doing. So Ben provides us with a lot of good ideas from his experience in the Field. I think this will be useful for anybody with a firm business focus on artificial intelligence. Without further ado, Ben Levy with Bootstrap Labs here on Tech Emergence. So, Ben, first question I wanted to run by you. I know you're not only out here in the Bay Area and, and around the United States, but you're in Europe, you're in Asia, speaking to investors, speaking to business people about their perspective and their curiosities around machine learning. Some of these are people that want to invest or start companies in this space. What do you see as some of the biggest misconceptions around machine learning in industry that you see business people and investors have? Sure. Thanks, Dan. Good question. I think we've had the benefit of traveling around the world, as you said. We invest only in Silicon Valley at early stages, but we talk to executives around the world. We talk to family offices people that have, you know, running businesses. And and I think there's been a lot of hype, you know, since the beginning of the year around mm-hmm. AI. And I think there's a lot of misconception. I mean, AI is nothing new. It's been out there for about 50 years. There's been some incredible breakthrough lately. But, you know, that's coming as a result of an explosion of big data, an explosion of computing power at scale, extremely cost efficiently as well, as well as the, the storage of data. And so the ability to start computing and running these models with a lot more information makes them a lot more exciting, more reliable, and also being able to be more responsive. And so there was a lot of noise when we started to have more engagement interaction with with AI type software. And, you know, way back, you're talking about the series of the world and others, which quite frankly, didn't have much AI into them, but they became more conversational. And when things become more conversational, or you're able to ask a questions to a model and it gets an answer really quickly, then it becomes transactional. And I think that's really what the era we have entered into, which is the commercialization of AI. Why we as investors in venture capital are excited is because we know that we are at a stage where, you know, a large number of entrepreneurs are going to be able to access this technology and quickly prototype some new ways of solving problems or basically taking old problems and solving them in new ways. We believe that every software written in the last 20 years will be rewritten in the next five to 10 years. And the way you're going to be engaging with product and software will completely change due to that. Those machine learning, those AI algorithms, things that are basically changing the way information is being first analyzed, projected, recommended, and potentially acted upon. And so you know, first, I think big, big thing to distinguish is between general AI, which the general public seems to, you know, when you talk about AI, you tend to go right away to this, you know, sentient being and, yeah, and yeah, the yeah, AI yeah. that does everything for you. Yep. Put that aside, I think where the world is today and where you can make some interesting play when you're an investor is to look at practical applications where a machine can do so much more when you talk about a massive amount of information to be processed 
and analyze and, and identify patterns than, than human beings are capable of. But they're really good in very narrow areas, right? They can solve very specific problems and do it more accurately than, than humans. I mean, lately, there's been a series of breakthroughs where machine understands, you know, people speaking better than human beings. They understand images and what's inside these images better than human beings, right? So, you know, we're going into that direction right now, but machines are terrible at, at pulling over knowledge acquired in a specific domain and areas into another one. And, and that yeah. gets more scary when you start thinking about machine training other machines and sharing their knowledge across, right? I think that's where you start seeing this exponential yeah. Um, kind of lows, lows that are out, you know, technology is subject to and human beings have having a very hard time to grasp. Yeah. And that's, again, as some of that is a little bit farther out, but as, as you said right now, kind of narrow applications are probably, you know, the most accurate, putting aside the science fiction of sentient machines, although, yeah. you know, we may live to see that putting that aside for the time being, when you bump into business folks, let's say, you know, you're in Singapore or you're in Paris or you're wherever you are as, as you're making your own rounds, um, what do you what do you see as sort of common misconceptions among business folks around how this works? Maybe they think it's too easy or too hard. Maybe they don't understand the resources that have to go behind it in terms of implementing the technology. Where where are the deficits of knowledge in the business world as you interact with these folks? Well, I think it's actually start with a very basic lack of understanding of how that technology is going to impact their own business. Just to begin with, I think you know these machine learnings and NLPs and all these. Keywords. I mean, whether you know, if you're a business person, at the end of the day, you're going to be caring about your ROI. You're going to, you know, return on investment. Is my product better, faster, cheaper? Am I selling it to my customers, and are my customers happier, and am I competitive? And I think we're going to be, you know, in in, in two to three years, people will not be selling you AI software. They will be selling you an upgrade, and that upgrade will have a lot of machine intelligence and a lot of AI into it. And you're not going to talk about it because the way business people will buy technology is always going to be based on ROI. I think yeah. so. the way you sell AI technology is not going to change very much from the way you've been buying other type of technologies. Now, the ability that you have as an executive and in a corporations to have the right talent in-house to evolve your products so that they become smarter, so that they actually take advantage of these new technologies and breakthroughs, that is the hard part. So I think each, each corporation should be seen as kind of two-sided. You have the side of I am a corporation building products or building services, and I'm delivering that to my customers. How am I making these products smarter, better, and integrating some of the new, new technologies? And then the other side is, I'm a consumer of technology, and I need to compete. And so how can I make my salespeople more effective? How can I make my investments more effective? How can I make my intelligent decisions on pricings and markets and locations of stock? All of that a lot more effective. And that's where I think corporations will be adopting and buying a lot of that technology in the next four, five, ten years because they're going to have to compete on one side. They're going to be facing markets that are lumpier and harder to grow into. And so cutting costs is going to become a high priority uh, in those environments. Hun, and talk, talk about that notion of a lumpier. What do, you, what do you mean in that regard just for the context of the audience? If you look at a global perspective, right? I mean, things say, <laughs> let aside the whole climate effect and <laughs> what, what the impacts of that yeah. could be. Just from a pure business standpoint, I mean, we live in a world that is a lot more subject to interconnections and crisis and impacting one another's and the domino effect. And so I think we're, we're in a world where we're going to continue seeing these ups and downs. And, you know, right now you might be looking still up and doing up and downs, but, you know, there's going to be an ongoing waves of the waves of disruption will continue coming in. And I think they're going to come in faster and faster. And we have seen that how the, the technology 
has been accelerated exponentially, and this wave of disruption have been closer and closer to one another. And so if you think about it, you know, artificial intelligence, we, we think of it as the fourth industrial revolution. We think that we went from a, a world where we started to automate to a world that is becoming more autonomous, right? a lot more intelligent. So we look at a world that is machine intelligence augmented by human beings. So it's not a world of one versus the other, it's the two combined, but we're going to go from a world where 80% of the work is done by human beings and 20% by the machines to a world that 80% is being done by machines and 20% by human beings. And we're going to be in a world of potentially in abundance. Where we're going to be able to produce a lot more for many more people. Now, other society questions emerge when you yep. start talking about these things, right? Of course, yeah, the, the bigger ethical considerations, which unfortunately is not the focus of this interview, although it's certainly a passion of mine. No, I'm sure, I'm sure you, you go there about. as well. Yeah, <laughs> for sure, for sure. But yes, those are more than worthwhile considerations. So it sounds like one takeaway that you sort of touched on really quickly, Ben, that maybe I, I can clarify for the audience is, People are not, if they're being smart about it, not to overplay the, the you know, intelligence uh, pun here, but um, if they're being smart about it, they're, they're not sort of buying artificial intelligence as a company who's looking to grow. They are buying results. They're, they're buying a return on their investment just like they would before. It's like, you know, you don't buy software because, oh, it's software. We should have software around here. You're, you're buying a tangible result. And so artificial intelligence maybe shouldn't be looked on as like, you know, a neat, different, weird thing. It should be looked at as something that has requirements, that has costs, and that has results out the other end. And, and you need to just make the same kind of smart business decisions about that. So that's one takeaway. Do you see companies, I know we did a poll recently of researchers who also have business experience, so people that have kind of touched on both. And they were of the belief that a lot of business folks don't really have an understanding of what machine learning is good at. And they also believe that a lot of business owners don't, don't have, uh, or even investors, don't have an understanding of the resources required to get it to work. It's not like, hey, it's uh, it's like Salesforce. You know, you load up your contacts and then you can kind of do it. it. All the tinkering, all the iteration, the knowledge of sort of algorithms sometimes, depending on, on kind of your application. Do you think that people are, you know, most of the business people you're, you're talking to, are they prepared for what the investment involves, what the resources and, and human knowledge involves to get this stuff sort of activated? I think so. I think the first recap is, is, is right spot on, right? You're going to be buying this technology based on results. That's one. Um, the other is, is more complex because you're touching upon, are you going to be, as a business, investing heavily in your own capabilities of developing and applying AI type technologies yeah. to what you do? And, and so, you know, who owns AI inside your company? Uh, who owns automation? And, and, and you know, who basically is going to be driving products that incorporate these kind of novel ways to look at things and solving problems? And who's going to be in charge of the data and the integrity of the data? And, and you know, there are so many cooks in the kitchen on one side inside <laughs> the corporations. Yeah. Uh, on the other side, you have, you sometimes have a lack of vision as to what these products and endpoints should be. Uh, and that goes back to my first kind of comments when I was traveling around the world. I was actually shocked by the little amount of awareness that people have as to what could be disrupting them or what kind of new product and services could come and make them irrelevant. So I think the benefit of being in the in the heart of early stage investing in Silicon Valley, uh, you know, that goes back actually to the talent and the vision, the ability to to solve problems and and, and leadership. Um, when when you start. Looking at this, you know, there's a very, so are you able as a corporation to acquire the talent and retain the talent that's going to have the right skill set? Uh, pretty unlikely, uh, very hard to recruit, very expensive, yep. uh, very pools of talents around the world where you have well-trained professionals around that area. And then they need to be led with somebody that has a vision for a product that is impactful 
And that's an expertise that, frankly, Silicon Valley has been owning on for the last 50 years, this ability to do extremely quickly product market fit iterations, validating assumptions and building into markets and not building into customers. So that's what really sets apart Silicon Valley. The more I travel around the world and the more bullish I am on the ability of Silicon Valley to, to nail this thing, especially around AI, because it takes expertise. It takes also the knowledge of transforming something quite complex as a technology into something that actually delights customers and users. And that's really productization and that's building into markets. And that's something that historically, I think Silicon Valley has proven time and time again to be really good at. Huh. And now you're meeting with companies in Singapore, you're meeting with companies, you know, in, in France. And, you know, France certainly has some, some AI talent and, and France has a fistful of its own startups. I mean, what are your kind of tertiary advice for these folks who maybe are not able to relocate or even open an office on Mountain View or off of Market Street or something in San Fran, what is sort of the, the talent game for those guys? Is it a really hard street fight with the local universities that have that skills and getting those guys early before you got to pay them you know, half a million dollars a year before they move out to Silicon Valley? What does it look like for the folks who aren't in the Bay? I guess we're fortunate to be here, but not everyone is. No, that's an absolutely very valid point. I think, you know, we at Bootstrap Lab see about a thousand companies from 60 countries every year. And, and that gives us an interesting perspective on, on where innovation is happening, how people solve problems. And they all solve them in different ways, even though sometimes they're the same problem, which is very interesting. Because again, you're a product on your local environment sometimes, but that doesn't mean you can't address a, lo- a global market. So when I think about these dynamics, if you were to be a startup in France, you know, focusing on AI, I think you have a great local pool of talent and you're not being as much in aggressive competition with the local Googles and Facebooks and Amazons of the world yes, that want to yes. suck up all that talent from these universities. So play that to your advantage. You know, we only invest in companies in Silicon Valley, but the founders could be from anywhere in the world. The company could have been started elsewhere, which means that you know, we are completely in favor of you maintaining a, you know, an R&D somewhere in the world where you come from, where you speak the language, where you know the universities. And it's not a cost arbitrage. I, mean, I want to make that clear. A lot of people have this misconception that, oh, it's cheaper, so therefore it's better. No, it's all about speed of execution and you want to have the right talent. Again, when you come from an environment where, you know, mm-hmm. say Eastern Europe, where you have an incredible amount of talent with machine learning and this sort of models that have been, you know, used out there, there's great schools that have been teaching that for, for decades since I'm in the UK. And, and, and I think these pools of talents are, are still, you know, there for companies to potentially scale to a certain level. But I think it's harder afterward, right? Because you're going to need other things to scale than just the people. It's part of it. But I think that's where other systems might be lacking is kind of developing those fully fleshed ecosystems that allow you to raise capital, to get the right kind of lawyers, to get the right kind of advisors, to get the corporations that are willing to test and try and fail with you as a startup. And, and yeah. that is something solely lacking in other ecosystems yeah. around the world. Uh, Not that you can't do it, right? But it's extremely hard. That's, a, that's how we get Frenchmen like you to, to move over with us Yankees, right? You can't beat them, join yeah, them. Yeah, <laughs> man, that's what I'm saying. And there's something to be said of it. And I, I think there's other countries trying to pick up on that. But I think the whole notion of just falling on your face, being able to still be a noble thing if you're if you're shooting for the moon. I mean, geez, you know, I'm not one of those like America's better than the rest of the world kind of folks. I, I think everybody should be learning from everybody. I think in entrepreneurship, there seem to be some cultural, you know, I hear it echoed in you. I hear it echoed in a lot of people. Uh, from outside of the states, you know, other social considerations applied, at least in terms of sort of startup ecosystem, acceptance of that iteration, that tinkering, that attempt at what's next seems to be somewhat rare elsewhere. It is. And, you know, I mean, I, I gave talks not on that specific topic, but entrepreneurship. And I think, you know, a lot of it has to do with the mindsets and, and the environment also defines a little bit who you are and the kind of risk you're willing to take. Yeah. 
in a world where people value experience and, and actually, you know, so long as you're learning from your mistakes and you're moving forward and you do it in an ethical way, then I think, you know, that is important. This transparency is, is key and others can benefit from your mistakes. And so I like, I like to call that, you know, try to make original mistakes. Um, ah, I like it. That's a good phrase. I'll, I'll quote you if I use that one, Ben. Um, and and sure. it's, it's useful. It's useful for the for the people tuned in right now too. I think to say that you know Ben is a is a guy who invests in companies like this, but you invest in them when they're in Silicon Valley. So it's like you know when you're when you're going to put your own dough down, you don't really want to take the risk of the ecosystem not being there. It's it's sort of a, an interesting point that we're not saying exactly, but it's kind of like hey, you at Bootstrap. I mean. You invest in Silicon Valley companies. I mean, it's it says a little something about where the confidence lies, and I think maybe that's something for people to tune into. Because I'm wary of time, Ben. I have one other question that I think you would know. Maybe, yeah, go for it. We got yeah, Dan. Just just one point on what you said. I, sure. I think it's true, but I think you know we believe innovation is everywhere. Brilliant and talented people will come up with incredible things around the world. Oh yeah. And the more oh, yeah. they have this technology, it will happen. The ability to scale that isn't. And so, you know, why we want them in Silicon Valley is for this ability to, to scale yes. their, their vision, their product, their ideas, accessing the right talent, capital. And also from an investor standpoint, you want to look at returns and returns are driven by acquisitions 95% of the time. And all the acquires of people that are willing to pay for technology and innovations happens to be in Silicon Valley. So yep. last time I checked, 85% of technology and many deals happen here. Yep. Um, so that's also one of the reasons why as investors, we want our founders to be here. Yeah, if you want to make purses, you, you got to move to Rome or Paris or something. If you want to sell your technology company for for sort of gargantuan sums of money, there's sort of a, a very limited number of places where you should sort of be. So totally get the point on that one. And hopefully the folks tuned in do as well. Last quick one, Ben. You're a fellow who was quite experienced in, in entrepreneurship on your own side and kind of the product side, not necessarily a formal, super hardcore, you know, PhD engineering AI background, but you've gotten an understanding of sort of where the movers and shakers are in this space and, and where ROI might actually lie. Now, a lot of the people that hold a budget and are going to be investing in these technologies, even the people acquiring the companies in your own portfolio, Ben, these are going to be people who control a lot of budget. They're powerful, they're smart, but they are not going to go back to Carnegie Mellon or Stanford and get a PhD at all. So they need to be able to get up to speed on this technology and understand its yields, understand its limits, understand its opportunities without going back to school. How does someone do that? Not everyone can also travel the world like you. I know you have a pretty unique experience. What would you recommend for people who need to get up to snuff? You know, reading TechCrunch is probably not enough. What do you have to do to start to grasp what is possible, how they could be disrupted, where the opportunities lie? So look, I think as venture capitalists, we're in a very unique privileged position where mm -hmm. we are, you know, having some smartest people sure. on the planet walking into our office and, and sharing with us some of the insights and, and how they're solving problems in differentiated ways. So we get educated on, you know, constantly. So we see patterns that are very interesting. We also think about, you know, my advice would be talk to people that are in the business of doing these things to get a bit smarter and wiser, not just reading out through things. And you need to read a lot, right? You know, we even have our own digest at Bootstrap Labs every week. We send an update to everybody on the newsletters to what's happening in the space. But you need to talk to people that are on the front line doing it. You need to potentially be, you know, corporations invest in funds and or, you know, fund as well, because they want to be learning from us, learning from the entrepreneurs that we work with. So a lot of the times the corporations do investment in other funds, not so much for the financial returns, but for the knowledge able to gather the intelligence and make, you know, kind of smarter ways of decisions. And we at Bootstrap Labs, you know, we, I might not have the answers or me the best experts in something, but that's why we build a very community centric models where, you know, we have about 30,000 people reading our newsletters. We have like 25 people around expert in residence and, and global venture partners. And we have uh, the ability to tap into incredible people that are, you know, former head of machine learning at Uber. 
we have the ability to go to the you know city of sentience and basically run things by them and ask them you know specific questions and, and they do care to answer us because they know who we are they trust us that we're not going to waste their time and they usually are interested in the things we're looking at i'm trying to transfer this to the people tuned in ben um it- if it's possible, how would that work? Again, I, I know most people aren't going to be in your in your shoes. I've been to a couple of your your folks' events. I like what you guys are doing, and I think that's there's got to be more yeah. and more of that in the future. Um, you know, a guy who's listening in right now might be in a very high up marketing position at GE or Target or um, you know something like that. How, how does any of that get modeled? Is it is going to events the best place? Traveling to Silicon Valley a lot. You said talking to people in the field. I guess events would probably be the best place to do that. Um, what are sort of those those quick tip kind of resources and and sort of habits that people can get into to start to get a better sense? Not that they'll ever you know be in the same position as you, but maybe get a little closer. Well, so I, so Ivan is one. Sure, it's kind of the low hanging fruit, right? Yep, but again, yep. I think what you talk, walk away with is is limited. Um, the ability to maybe set up meetings with people like us. I mean, the truth is, on a regular basis, we host corporations and senior executives yep. uh, that are coming either to Silicon Valley or nearby. Because they want to hear a little bit what's going on um, and from us directly, and then we can help them connect with other people. Um, you know, corporations are always thinking about their ways of engaging with outside technology. Um, you know, I don't like open innovation that much, but more, how do you take and access external innovation and integrate it faster? So a lot of them have looked at opening innovations office here, whatever that means, right? You, you basically say, hey, we exist and we have a front door. If you're a startup, you can <laughs> yeah. talk to us. Yeah. Uh, and that costs them a fair amount of money, by the way, right? It Just does, yeah, stuff. yeah. A front, a front door in San Francisco is not a not a right. small endeavor, but I, I get what yeah. you're saying. So basically, um, you know, th- there's ways to get plugged into venture folks like yourself. Essentially, it's, it sounds like have a footprint or at least have your tentacles in the ecosystem. Have, have people with with real responsibility at your company, either sink their test, their tentacles or have an actual physical presence uh, within the ecosystem to be embedded a little bit deeper. It sounds like, you know, just going to events and reading magazines, probably not going to cut it to have a genuine pulse. It sounds like your advice is, is to really be embedded in kind of, again, that, that more thorough sort of ecosystem in a deeper way, if I'm hearing you correctly. Yeah, and I think you talked about people having budget. I think, you know, they should be using those budgets to actually learn, right? So you should be thinking about where can you allocate a bit of money, um, whether it's like either sponsoring um, events, because not because you're sponsoring the event and you're going to meet more people, but because you might actually get closer to the people that organize that event, that have incredible access, um, you know, and that could be one way. You could be working with incubators and accelerators. You could be working with people that do car innovation tours. You could be working with... Uh, you know, you can allocate capital into venture funds so that people are doing things interesting in those areas. Um, and you could be setting your own corporate venture arm. Um, there's there's a few different tools that corporations have there, you know, uh, that is accessible to them. You know, but I don't think I would go to, to a consultant, for example, to, to get expertise and advice on that. Huh, I like it. So I, I like that you gave a little bit of a smorgasbord. People who want to uh, really tune in can rewind that quick second as Ben went through kind of that laundry list there. But I think understanding the options available to really kind of get some skin in the game and, and, you know, spend on the necessary learning. Um, I think that could be a valuable lesson for some of the, the folks tuned in who, again, like yourself, not a PhD in AI, but they, they got to get up to speed. Obviously you've done it and hopefully people can tune, uh, use those lessons to, to do the same themselves. Ben, that's all that we have for time, but I very much appreciate your perspective and I'm glad you're able to join us on the Tech Emergence Podcast. Thanks so much. Yeah. And thank you so much for having me today. That was great. That wraps up today's episode here on the Tech Emergence Podcast, and thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to stay in touch with our latest interviews with C-level executives and top researchers and thinkers in the domains of 
AI and the intersection of technology and intelligence, then make sure to subscribe here on iTunes or visit us on our main website at techemergence.com where you can see all of our interviews broken down by category as well as articles, news, market research, and trends in artificial intelligence. If you found this episode particularly thought-provoking, feel free to leave your thoughts in a review here on iTunes or you can feel free to reach out to us at our main website. Thanks as always for tuning in and I'll catch you next week.